time, would you welcome Don Brewster? Yeah, God is unbelievably grace-filled with us as a ministry and as a couple. And, and in so many ways, uh, this little thing we went through uh, is really evidence of, of that battle that we're in. You know, that it's, 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 not, it's like Paul says, right? It's a spiritual battle that we're in. One of the other things that happened through this is the Cambodian government came to us, and they have some aftercare centers that are really poor aftercare centers. Um, and they said, hey, you guys do such a good job. Would you mind coming in and helping in our aftercare centers? And I said, well, you know, if we come, we bring Jesus with us. <laughs> and they said, bring him. So starting this year, our staff will be going into Cambodian government-run aftercare centers and teaching the girls that they are loved by Jesus. Now, speaking of love, Bridget and I feel tremendously loved by you guys. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, we're blessed to be here in so many ways. And because we feel so loved, I feel I can do an experiment. And as Pastor said, you're experimenting on uh, the third Sundays in the evening. So I have a little experiment. Uh, normally, normally when we speak at a church, we really just teach a passage of the Bible, right? And we show the God's call for justice, and we use illustrations um, from Cambodia to show how we might uh, fulfill uh, God's command to us. But this time, I'm going to try something a little different, and I'm going to give you more of an update in some ways. Uh, we're going to have, the Bible's going to be a part of it, but we're going, to, we're going to look at some bad stuff, and we're going to look at the great hope we have and how each one of us can be involved uh, in this battle against this evil. You guys are well-educated, so I won't give you a definition of human trafficking, but uh, I will say that while we actually have expanded, this is another thing that happened because of the investigation. The Cambodian government said, you do such a good job of rescuing victims of sex trafficking. Would you mind taking over labor trafficking and organ trafficking and, and uh, trafficking of children for begging? And so beginning actually this month, we are going to be uh, getting involved in that. And we, in the past, actually, we've done a few rescues. As, but now that's going to be part of what we do every day. Anyway, so let me pray uh, before we get started and ask for God to bless this time. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, and we're so grateful that you love us and, and that for your grace and your love and, and the forgiveness and just the unbelievable sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Uh, we are humbled and grateful, and, and we are grateful that we're in a country here where we can speak freely of Jesus, where we can share the truth with anyone. I'm thankful for this time, Lord, and I pray that, uh, that you would speak through me. I pray that you would give people ears to hear whatever you would say through me, and that they would not hear the things that might be of me. And again, we thank you that we have this time together as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So the, how is the battle against human trafficking going? Well, there's a couple statistics that we can throw up that will give you an idea. To, statistically, they say there's 35, 25 to 35 million uh, people, victims of trafficking on an annual basis. There's more slaves in the world today than at any other time in our history. It's also true that in the illegal earnings from uh, human trafficking is over $150 billion a year. And what that means is this evil, right, this evil enterprise that we're fighting has $150 billion to use against us. They have, they have big guns. In Cambodia, there's some interesting things, that, interesting statistics. We, do, we are having progress in Cambodia, and part of it we'll explain as we go through this, but there are some things that are really difficult for us there. First of all, 80% of Cambodian men frequent brothels. Can you imagine that? 80% of all men in Cambodia go to brothels. The demand is so incredibly high. It's the highest percentage in the world. Countries like the UK, it's 8%. I mean, the, the difference is astounding. And then there's another, there's another figure that because of our group and we have some younger people that I'm, I, I'm actually not going to share with you uh, from the stage, but those 80% are involved in other evil activities. 40% of them, almost half of them, are involved in some other evil activities. And what that brings to the forefront is an issue that, that is really, I think, central for the church demand. Right? The, the truth is, right, if, if we executed all men today, sex trafficking would end as well. Uh, I'm not for that. <laughs> uh, being of the male uh, gender... But, uh, but the truth is, men were the issue. And the truth is, the church is a big problem. Because one of the biggest problems in fighting sex trafficking is pornography. Pornography fuels sex trafficking. And George Barna has done research on the, on the uh, viewing of pornography by Christians, men, versus the world. Basically, there's no difference. 60%, 60% of Christian men view pornography regularly. 60% of the men in this room are viewing pornography. Now, I think the people that are in this room that were watching it, right, aren't doing so uh, thinking that they're hurting someone other than themselves maybe, and maybe their family if they were to find out about it. Uh, but the, the truth is, it actually drives sex trafficking. And there's tons of evidence to that, which we won't go over. But that's a critical issue for the church today. And it's one that doesn't get talked about much from the pulpit. If 60% of the men in a church were dying of cancer, we'd be talking about it. And we'd be talking about it all the time. And this is an endemic situation that, that, is, that is having a terrible effect on women and children around the world. What we do in our homes, on our computers, on our phones, men, are destroying lives around the world. 
Now, here's the other part of the problem that I've seen as we've gone to talk about this. And by the way, none of this is in my notes. I feel like God is taking me in a different direction. I have a whole set of notes that I hope to get some of them in. But, <laughs> but, but here's, here's the truth. There's so much shame connected with it that men don't look for help. Right? I was, uh, we were speaking at a, at a men's, I was speaking at a men's group recently, and, and I was speaking about this issue. Right? And afterwards, two pastors of that church came up to tell me they were struggling with that issue. But they were afraid to tell anybody because they know they would lose their job. It would bring shame. And there needs to be a movement within the men's ministries and churches that are going to be brave and stand up and they're going to offer options to men. Because some of, some of it is um, addictive, right? And there needs to be a way to overcome that addiction. But if we, if we as a church worldwide, right, if we as a church reduce that number of men that are viewing pornography, we'll save little girls. See, that's the bottom line. We'll save little girls. And so we need to be courageous as a church, and we need to be courageous, courageous as men to speak up, to help one another to overcome this. Because what happens, you know, we can look at statistics, right? And that gives us an idea of the depth or the breadth of the situation. But you'd have to look at an individual life and what happens to get a feel for what we're really talking about. Srayon is a Cambodian girl, and that's a picture of her when she was rescued. She is like most of the girls that we rescue in the sense that she was a highly vulnerable family. A uh, family with, uh, she had six siblings. They were poor. They lived in a rural area of Cambodia. Uh, the mother was very sick. There was large uh, medical bills. And the father was a subsistence farmer. Well, Threon was stolen and held captive through force, through threats of violence against herself and her family. And uh, she was horribly abused for a full year. At the end of that year, she became pregnant and she was forced to have an abortion. Now, she's just 14 years old at that time. What she says, uh, how she felt at that time, uh, she says, my life was filled with great physical and emotional pain, and now shame, and now guilt. I tried to get away many times. The pain, the shame, and the guilt made me want to die, to leave this world. I know my future is ruined. And she began to plan her suicide. The next day, through God's grace, she was rescued. But that's the destruction of lives that happen. It can happen just because men watch pornography. You know the biggest producer of pornography in the world? Southern California. 80% of the world's pornography is produced in Southern California. So we're here today in a place where the church can rise up and take some action. Now, all this is bad news, right? 
I mean, look at all this, and we can become overwhelmed with this. But the truth is, we shouldn't be surprised. We should, the world is broken, right? The world is in the need of love of Christ in a tremendous way. You know, in, in 1 Peter 5, 8, we're told, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In those tools, the sexualization of our culture, the things that are acceptable on television and in movies that a few years ago were not allowed to be there, the, the proliferation of pornography, the easy access through mobile devices, those are perfect tools for Satan. And then you add on top of that, you add on top of that the shame and the guilt that, that men have being involved with this, and, it, and it's hidden, and it's dark, and it doesn't come into the light, and this is Satan's perfect tool. Now, the good news is there's great hope. The hope is greater than the evil. And what is the hope? The hope is us. It's Christ in us is the hope. Worldwide, there are, I have to look, 2 billion, 300 million Christians. And if we are activated, when we are activated, life, the world, the cultures are transformed. It's, we have this great opportunity to attack this terrible evil because of Christ in us. And you know what? I believe with all my heart we are the only hope in the world. There are many secular organizations that fight uh, trafficking. And they are led and, and staffed with people that are far better people than me. Way better people than me. But you know the difference? Christ. Right? That's the difference. Because I'll tell you, to fight evil, we need love. Right? We need Christ's love. And, as a, and in our flesh, we run out of love. We don't have enough love to defeat the evil that's in this world. But if we're connected to Christ and it's his love flowing through us, we're not going to run out. And so that's the issue with, I believe, the issue with the secular organizations, which are good people doing good things. They can't do it because they, it's impossible to really make progress in fighting this evil without, without the love of Christ flowing through us. And again, in Ephesians, Paul talks about this. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Right? And God promises us great things. If we do things together in John 14, 12, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And if, if we as Christians, as a Christian family, if we join together in the power of Christ, transformation can take place. And we've been able to see and experience that in a little way, in small parts of Cambodia where our ministries are, right? That we can see the difference. And by the way, when, I'm, when I speak, sometimes I speak at secular meetings, and, I, and uh, I'm not that well-liked because I say, you need Jesus. <laughs> I'll say, like, hey, it, actually, next weekend, we'll, Bridget and I will be speaking in, uh, in California here 
and we're going to be speaking at a secular conference on a Saturday evening, and I'm going to be saying that. So the one good thing is I don't get held up afterwards because no one wants to talk to me (laughs) when I get done speaking. So there is a positive side to it. But we have to be bold in this. As followers of Christ, we need to be bold in this and proclaim the truth that his love flowing through us is transformative because it truly is. Now, standing with the oppressed and fighting injustice is, is uh, Pastor Chris said, it's, it's really a command, right? It's not a call on our lives. It's a, it's a command. And as the past pastor uh, said, there, there's lots of injustices, right? There's many kinds of oppressed people, so it's not just sex trafficking or human trafficking. There's many, but the bottom line is we're responsible as followers of Christ, to respond to that. You know, we, throughout the, actually, throughout the entire Bible, there's passages that deal with this. Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, let us know how serious God takes this issue. Uh, Isaiah is filled with issue, uh, passages on justice. Isaiah, in the first chapter, on verse 17, it says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Now, one of the problems with bringing this up, and it's a problem I dealt with early on, is feeling guilt over it, right? Like, I'm not doing something, and I feel guilty. And to be honest with you, that's what drove me. It was a compulsion to obey. It It was a guilt over what was happening in the world, and I wasn't doing anything about it. But that's not it. That's it, because that won't work either. Right, because that'll that that'll run we'll run dry with that. What it should be is our loving response to what Jesus has done for us. And when I began to look at it, began to see that it was that became my motivation. Right, that it wasn't I had to do it; I wanted to do it. It was a desire so deep in me when I when I recognized just how much. Jesus had done for me. And uh, frankly, I wondered if there was many years that I called myself a Christian, then I wasn't really a Christian, right? I was religious, maybe, right? But I wasn't really a Christian. I wasn't responding to what Jesus, when I, and the moment that happened, it changed my life. It changed everything when I realized how much Jesus has done for me. This is nothing to respond to this, to help other people. Is, is, is nothing compared to what Christ did for me. I mean, it, and so it changed, it changed everything. Uh, I'm going to go back to my notes a little bit now. <laughs> it changed everything. So the point here is not guilt. It's not shame. It's not compulsion. It's what's in our heart based on what Christ has done for us. Now, so fighting, if we're going to fight, right, uh, against human trafficking, against sex trafficking, there's four levels that we need to fight on, which were mentioned in the video. I'll touch on it briefly. Prevention, right? Prevention really amounts to protecting the vulnerable and fighting demand, right? And so there's multiple ways to do that. Rescue is another. Rescue is in law enforcement, right, in the justice system, so people get put, in, uh, put away for their crimes. 
There's restoration, bringing healing um, to the victims, right? If they're no longer victims, they're, and they're, they're not survivors. They're more than survivors, right? And many of we see it become modern-day abolitionists through Christ's love. And then there's reintegration, right? And here's a difficult part. The reintegration requires a couple of things. One of the things is easier is jobs, right? And this is true without the wor- throughout the world, but especially it's true in developing countries. What will you do if you can't eat? What will you do if you've had a past where you, involved, where you were exploited, but maybe go back and be exploited again because you can't find employment to care for yourself, to help care for your family? But the other thing is follow-up, right? There needs to be a follow-up. And and, and what I mean by that is most of the victims around the world, not all, but by far most of the victims, don't come from good families, right? And if they come into a Christian aftercare facilities like ours, we say we're family now, right? And if when they graduate the program, they never hear from us again when we're not much of a family, And I think the reintegration, if it's to be done and to be successful, has to be related to our universal needs. And I believe God the Father, in speaking about Jesus at his baptism, gave us those universal needs. There he said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Family. We all need family. Love. We all need unconditional love. And we also need a fulfilled purpose in our lives. Now, Jesus gives us all of that, right? But he gives it through people. And if we're going to be successful in reintegrating girls and making them uh, successful, vibrant Christian women in society, they're going to need to have those needs met. And it's going to be part of our responsibility to see that done. So all four things need to be done at the same time if there's going to be any progress in actually defeating sex trafficking. You can can do good things, but you don't have really any long-term impact on defeating it unless all four things are going on. And then one more thing, the church has to move into the worst communities in the world. There's a tendency for Jesus to visit those areas. Right, that the good work is done. People go in and minister into these terrible areas, and they do good things. But they, there's no transformation in the community. When Jesus moves into a community through the church, and it's planted right there, and the church is helping to meet the needs of the people in that community, relationships are formed through which Christ can work to transform hearts. And that's how it's defeated, because it's one at a time. The truth is, this country, law enforcement, right, is a good thing. The justice system is a good thing. Economic development is awesome. So is education. They never defeated evil. No place in the world. Evil is only defeated through the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ flowing through a church that's part of the community where the bad stuff happens. Now, 
as a, as a church, you guys are awesome. You have taken up the cause. You're standing with the oppressed and fighting injustice. And we as individuals have that responsibility as well as, as part of a church. And when we... Uh, I don't want to go there yet. Okay, so let me go here. So there's, there's, we kind of see it three ways of getting involved, right? We can get involved on the front lines, right? We're, we're in the battle. Those are the, that's the church that moves into that area. We can get involved by being reinforcements. In other words, sending teams to support the people on the front lines, sending supplies, giving a break to them, and we can be involved on the home front, right, by being prayer warriors and supporting but to be more specific, there's ways that we can personally respond starting today with what we have, where we are. And as an example, I want to take you through uh, something that happened in Hong Kong. Okay, well, it started first with a film that was first shown here, Nefarious. A guy named Benchy produced this film called Nefarious. Uh, next slide, please, yeah. So Benji produced this film. He never was involved in fighting human trafficking. He just did a documentary to say what was going on. So he made this film, and there was a woman in Hong Kong who saw the film. Her name is Lois. Now, Lois uh, was moved by the film and said, I need to show this to my Bible study. So Lois showed the film to her Bible study. Now, in the Bible study was a large, a significant large group of people. And so the first one who responded after seeing it was a guy named James. He's getting a little too chummy with my wife, but other than that, I like James. <laughs> um, so James is a businessman, and what he decided to do after he saw the film, he didn't call us, he didn't ask, he just said, I'm going to get together a group of my businessmen friends and do a fundraiser for that organization in Cambodia. So he just got together a bunch of his friends, did a fundraiser. By the way, over two years, those friends have donated over a million dollars to uh, our ministry in Cambodia. Because that Benji made the film that Lois showed to James. Now, after James saw the film, another one was a guy named Jonathan. Now, Jonathan proves you can't be too cool to, to fight human trafficking. Jonathan is a 16-year-old uh, high school student and, who happened to be a good artist. So he decided he'd paint a picture. Next slide, please. And he painted that picture of a Cambodian boy cleaning the house, and he put it up for auction and sold it for $10,000. Now, also who saw the film was Janice. Now, Janice was a businesswoman, and she actually rescued a Cambodian girl in China. Now, here's how it happened. This girl, Cambodian girl in China, somehow got our phone number in Cambodia and said, I've been tra I was trafficked, I've run away from the trafficker, and save me. Which is uh, easy to say, but not that easy to do, since we're in Phnom Penh, and she's, she doesn't know where she is in... in uh, China because she can't read Chinese, right? So she can't even tell us where she is. Um, 
So uh, we said, well, listen, you need to go to the Cambodian embassy in Beijing. And she actually had a phone. She took a photograph of a street sign. And through that, we were able to get a friend in uh, mainland China to uh, uh, give her money to get to the Cambodian embassy. When she got to the embassy, the embassy was trying to send her back to the trafficker because they get paid. So she called, called again and said, told us that. And I said, well, we'll don't worry. We'll fix that. Don't give up. Now, at that point, she'd been three days without food or water, running away. And so we talked with the embassy, and, and we thought everything was straightened out, but it wasn't. So I thought, what are we going to do? I said, I'll call Janice, because I know she has a business in Beijing. So I called Janice, and she said, I happen to be in Beijing now. I said, well, will you go to the embassy and pick up this girl? She said, yes. And so she did. It was funny. Later on, we learned. But I, I had to sneak out of the hotel because I didn't want my husband to know I was doing it. So she sneaks out of the hotel, and she gets to the embassy. But now the embassy guards are giving him a hard time for her to get the girl, right? And so she calls and says, I'm having a hard time. And uh, I said, Sir Janice, spiritually, it was a spiritual advice I gave her, Janice, you're going to have to man up. You grab that girl by the arm, you throw her in the back of the car, and you go. And she said, really? I said, yes, really. So she grabbed the girl, threw her in the back of the car, takes off. About 10 minutes later, I get a call. I got the girl. What do you want me to do with her? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point. So... It just so happened, she said, you know, Clement, who we met uh, at, the, uh, at the fundraising dinner? Yeah, I know him. She goes, He's, he runs a hotel in Beijing. So we don't like Clement enough to get a picture, but <laughs> he's a good-looking guy. Uh, so we call Clement, and he says, bring her. You know, and we're thinking they have workers' quarters right in this hotel. But they put, she puts her up on the executive level of the hotel with all the nicest things, and it takes us two months to get her back. She spends two months in that hotel, and covered, he covered all the, everything involved to keep her. Plus, it was a very brave thing to do. If he had been caught with her in the hotel, he would have been in big trouble because it would be, as far as the government concerned, an illegal immigrant that he was housing in his hotel. So, actually, Bridget and I ended up going over to Beijing, and we got the girl and brought her back, and she's doing great today. Now, after Clement, there was Esther. Now, Esther is a PR uh, specialist, and what she did is she got Bridget and I an interview on CNN. And so we got to be interviewed on CNN, which resulted in many more people learning about the problem, many more people getting involved. Now, remember, this started with Lois, who saw the film, who showed it to her friend, right? All these things is really goes back to Lois. And then there's Marianne. Marianne brought a, te a team of young adults to Cambodia to rebuild houses knocked down by a storm. 
that were that the children were in, uh, vulnerable to being trafficked. So she brought the team, and they and you can see her there uh, carrying the lumber to help rebuild that, but that little house. And then finally, there's Victor. Victor is a business owner in uh, in mainland China, and he has also a factory in uh, in uh, Cambodia. And what he said, to, he contacted us and said, hey, do you need jobs? I said, well, jobs are vital. He goes, how about if we set up a little satellite factory and give these girls great jobs? So because of Victor, we have, a, we have a, uh, uh, an employment center that produces sweaters for Nordstrom's, Macy's, H&M, and the girls make five times the wages they would make in a normal factory. Now let's go back to Lois because Lois did it all. God used this woman. And what I forgot to mention is when Lois saw the film, she was dying of stage four cancer. All the good that came out of Lois showing the film to those people, she never saw. But God did. And God used her sacrificial gift. And that's the other thing that I have to say. You know, sometimes... Uh, we who are speaking and we want everybody to get involved, we say things like, skip, skip a Starbucks a week and give, and you'll make a big difference. If you hear that again from anybody, including me, that's a lie. It takes sacrifice. sacrifice. All those people that did things, right, sacrificed in some way. So it, it does take sacrifice. But when we sacrifice, we are blessed in great ways, and God does wonderful things. Because people, like this church, by the way, and the people in Hong Kong, lives are transformed. So let's go back to Sreon. Now She's rescued. She goes into our aftercare center, and her life is changed by the love of God. She is transformed right? Um, and she writes a, a, a few things here. She talks about after being rescued, God restored me and gave me a new life. She goes, my old life of guilt and shame have disappeared, and today I need live a new life with God. She's in high school. She's going to graduate this year from high school. Her plan is to go on to university where she become a teacher and a counselor. And her goal in her words is, uh, the power of God's love made me so happy and made me know, clearly know the truth about God, and now I want to give that truth to other people who have been hurt. Now, last slide. This is, we have one more slide. No, I, I want that other one, please. That's a Christmas gift that Bridget and I got from Sreon this year. And uh, the clock is really cute. I like it. It's on my desk, by the way. For, I let Bridget use it once a week. But I, I keep it on my desk in my office. But it's the note that was the better gift. In that note, she says, may God bless you and be with you all the time. Thank you for loving me and the other girls at ABC. That's our aftercare center. 
I am so lucky that God chose me to hear and understand him. This is a little gift on Christmas Day. I will never forget the kindness you do for me and the other girls. It is the best memory of my life. The power of God's love coming from you made me so happy and made me know clearly that God loves me. Finally, I want to say true from my heart, I love you so much. Sreon loves Padan and Nana. Now, we get the nice note, but it was what everyone else did that made that note possible. More than the note, what it made possible is Sreon's transformed life, the new life that she has in Christ. Is because people all over the world, people from this church, people from Hong Kong, chose to follow God's command. And I'd rather say, rather than chose, had the desire in their heart to follow God's command, to stand with the oppressed and fight injustice. When we do this, see, you know, people think Bridget and I sacrifice. And that one note is worth 13 years. We never get another one. That's enough. But I'm hoping you'll help us get enough. <laughs> Let's pray.